Welcome, everyone. Hey, so good to have all of you, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Um, today we are starting, as you've heard, a brand new sermon series entitled Relational Intelligence. When we talk about a sermon series, basically what we're saying is we're taking one sermon and we're doing it over three parts because it's just way too long. So these conversations are kind of built up on each other. Now, one thing before we jump into this series we have a new opportunity for all of you, and it is called our short-term workshops. And this is gonna be a two-week workshop on identity and self-awareness. We're gonna take everything we're talking about on Sunday mornings in this relationship series, and we're gonna take it to another level. So on February the 13th and the 20th at 6.30 p.m., we're gonna all meet in the auditoriums of all of our campuses, and there'll be round tables set up around in the, in the auditoriums. We're gonna have tables set up for people who are in their 20-somethings, young adults, Adults. Uh, we'll have tables set up for men's, for for men and women and couples. And so, if you have any questions about that, you can stop by the gallery on your way out. Our team is there prepared to answer those questions, or you can just go to the RCC app and you can sign up there. I'm just telling you, it is a great opportunity to take what we're talking about on Sunday to a whole new level in conversations with other people as you're cultivating community and developing depth in your relationship with Jesus. So, um, thank you so much for considering that, because I think it'll be helpful for all of us. Now, as I said, um, we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled Relational Intelligence, and that's what I'm excited about because I know I'm talking to a lot of intelligent people. And what's gonna happen is over the next three weeks, we're gonna be discovering together what scripture says is at stake for you and me and the people in your life whenever we are not relationally aware. Because the truth is, and we all know this when you really stop and think about it, the quality and the impact of your life to a large extent is going to be determined by the quality of your relationships. So to get us started thinking about this and having this conversation today, I want you to think about this question. And here is the question. Would you say that people are more relationally intelligent or less relationally intelligent? And I think most all of us would agree. People are less relationally intelligent, right? I mean, I'm sure you could give many examples of uh, people in your life who are not very relationally intelligent or self-aware when it comes to their relationships. And by the way, if they're sitting beside you, don't point them out, and here's why. Because it would show that you're not very relationally intelligent or self-aware when it comes to relationships. But here's the reality. See, we all know people who are not very intelligent or self-aware whenever it comes to relationships. In fact, I've experienced people like that too. I do that often um, and think to myself when I do, it's like, ooh, I wonder how much I'm like that. In fact, a few years ago, I, I was flying home from Fort Smith, Montana after a relaxing week fishing with some of my pastor buddies. And um, when I got on one of the planes coming home, Another man um, who had been out there fishing, he wasn't with our group, and we'd kind of been having some conversations while we're loading on the plane, and um, we ended up with this lady sitting in between us. So we get on the plane, and we did the typical plane greeting, and then we both pulled ourselves back into our very, very, very small airplane seat world. You know what I'm talking about, Right? I get my iPad out that has my Kindle on it, open it up, I'm going to my book. He gets his stuff out and he's over there working on his laptop. But she didn't stop with the greeting. Like she didn't pick up on any of the cues that we had pulled back into our world. 
So she starts telling us why she's traveling and she didn't stop talking until we were walking down the aisle to get off the plane. I'm just telling you, the whole flight, this lady did not pause unless it was to take a breath and to drink a drink of water. And it wasn't that we were like sending her signals that we were interested or that we were engaged in this conversation anyway. We weren't. I'm like, I'm trying to read this book and highlight in this book. And if I did look up, I did not make eye contact with her. I would look up at the back of the seat and there was a little monitor on it or I'd look out, the, try to look out the window on the other side, just like, but she just kept talking. Like this lady was rolling through conversational and relational stop signs for the whole flight. Sometimes she would say things that she thought was funny and she'd reach over and tap me on the arm or the other guy on the arm and she would laugh. <laughs> and I'm like, there's nothing funny here. Like, how many more minutes? Like, I, I was so trying to ignore this lady, and I know that's not a Christian, spiritual, Jesus follower thing to do, that when they asked for snacks, I didn't even ask for snacks. I didn't even want to get more casual. I was like, no, I'm going to stay focused on this book. And I'm sure in her mind, she's having this great conversation with us because she would say things and laugh. Like, none of this stuff was making sense. So I'm sure from her perspective, man, it was great. Our perspective, whew, what is wrong with this cuckoo woman, right? Like, she was running conversational, relational, even boundary stop signs at times. One time she reached over, pat this guy on the leg, just sitting, I'm like, you didn't touch me. You're like, woo, yeah, that's good. See, I think all of us could tell stories um, of getting run over by people relationally and conversationally, where they ran a conversation or a relational stop sign. And here's what I know about this whole process of that. Like, people who run those relational and conversational stop signs, they don't even realize it, do they? But, but in reality, when you run into somebody like that, or I should say they run into you, don't they just exhaust you? Don't they deplete you? I mean, they put you on guard. You, you feel diminished by them. And the reality is they are clueless about their reality. And every time maybe you have an interaction with that person, like you're a little bit on edge, you cringe a little bit because you know there's most likely going to be some kind of relational or conversational wreck because they're going to run the stop sign, right? They're not even aware of it. So the question for most of us is, like, how do you handle those people? How do you handle the people who are always running the relational and the conversational stop signs? And they're not even aware. It's the person who will say something like this. Well, I don't mean to interrupt, but then they do. Right? They're like, well, I don't mean to disagree, but then they do. Or I don't mean to push back on this, but then they do. I was like, well, just say what you want to say. Because all of a sudden, it's like, what were you saying this if you're just doing the opposite of what you're saying? Listen, what I'm going to say next is probably going to be counterintuitive. And most likely, you're going to think, but what about those relational stop sign runners, those conversational stop sign runners that finish your sentences or finish your thoughts? See, to deal with them in any spiritual and emotionally healthy way, 
in a loving, God-honoring way, we don't start with them. We start with ourselves. See, the truth is, we are all fairly aware of how others run relational stop signs. You, you point it out to other people all the time. You come home to your spouse, you tell, oh, that person at work, man, oh my gosh, they're so bad at driving relationally. So we're all fairly aware of how others run relational stop signs, but most of us don't miss this. The studies show this. Most of us are very unaware of how often we run relational and conversational stop signs. See, the truth is, that person who has popped in your mind as we've been talking that violates all those relational and conversational stop signs, and, and they'll just blurt something out, and, it, and it's toxic, and they know it, and then they'll just say something like, well, that's just who I am. Here's what we don't understand. What most of us don't realize is that we are this person to more people than we know. Don't miss that. We are the person that's unaware of how often we run relational and conversational stop signs to other people. See, you are that stop sign runner. I am that stop sign runner. I am that conversational runner. I, I miss the stop signs conversationally. I miss the stop signs relationally. I am that person to many other people, and so are you. And you go, well, I don't know if I know if I believe that's true. It is true, and here, here's why it is true because we lack external self-awareness. See, our external self-awareness is very limited. And what we mean by external self-awareness is this, our understanding of how others view us and the impact, whether it's negative, whether it's positive, whether it's making them uncomfortable, whether it's making you know some kind of toxic statement, we, we have very limited understanding of how others view us and the impact that we have on them. We're more internally self-aware, but most of us are not even internally self-aware. But we're just not externally self-aware because we don't live on the other side of us. See, it's one of the reasons this quote is true. To know yourself, you must sacrifice the illusion that you already do. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that most of us think that we know ourselves very well. I mean, after all, we live with ourselves 24-7, right? So how can we not know ourselves? That's why most of us feel like that the way that we relate to other people, the way that we interact with other people is way above average. I mean, studies show that most people feel like that they relate to other people above average, we think we're very aware of the level of our relational intelligence. And by relational intelligence, we mean our ability to interact with and relate to others in a multiplying, life-giving kind of way rather than a diminishing kind of way. See, see, most of us believe really deep down inside of us that our level, we, if you would ask us, our level of relational intelligence is much higher than the people around us. But here's the truth, we're just not as relationally aware as we think we are. In fact, the older I get, the more unaware I realize I am. And because we're not aware of how others view us when we interact with them and the impact that we have on them, 
How we create unintentional heartache and difficulty and angst and, and discomfort for other people that we don't even realize that we're creating. And we do that because, as John Ortberg says, without even realizing it, don't miss this, without even realizing it, we project onto God and we project onto other people the fear, the anger, the greed, and the complaints that fester just blindly beneath the surface of our lives. We're blind to it. Other people experience it, as we're gonna see from scripture today. Now, here's what's interesting. The business world, they have been working hard to become self-aware. The, the business world has embraced this truth that we're not as relationally intelligent as we think we are. The business world is very honest about that. We're not relationally intelligent. In fact, there's been a lot of books in the business world that have been written about this. In fact, the landmark book is probably the book Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goldman. In fact, Daniel Goldman says this. He says, the number one career killer, the number one career limiter is the inability of leaders, bosses, managers, or employees to understand the emotional and relational climate that they bring into their workplace. Now I'm gonna read this again at all of our campuses. I want you to change this word they, I want you to say it out loud. I want you to say that I bring into my workplace. And it's gonna be hard for some of you to say that because your pride is gonna, oh, no, I'm not that person. And everybody around you will go, yeah, see, that's the thing. You're just not as relationally intelligent as you think you are. So I'm gonna read this one more time and let's make this personal. Can we do that? The number one career killer, the number one career limiter is the inability of leaders, bosses, managers, or employees to understand the emotional and relational climate that I bring into my workplace relationships. It's not just workplace, it's home, it's church, it's small group, it's marriages. It's every relationship. I mean, don't miss this. The number one career killer, the number one career limiter is the inability of us to be self-aware. It's, it's the bosses, it's the managers, it's the employees' limited understanding of their own lack of relational intelligence. See, our number one career killer, is, it's our own blindness. It's our own overestimation of ourselves, of our relationship skills. And this is just, as I said, it's not just true in the workplace. I mean, this is true in your marriage. This is true in your family. This is true in your small group. This is true in your school. This is true of all of your relationships. In fact, you could say it this way. Your overestimation of your relational intelligence is the number one relational limiter in your life. See, if we were more relationally intelligent, then we would even understand better how to run the people who run the relational and conversational stop signs without it creating all this emotional reaction inside of us. See, every time you have an emotional reaction to someone who does something to you, it's a time, I need to look at my relational intelligence. Why is that triggering me? Now, here's what's sad about this. The business world's figuring this out. But many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we, we haven't been honest with ourselves about this truth 
In fact, as followers of Jesus, I think we should be the most honest and intentional really about addressing this issue of our lack of emotional and relational intelligence in our life. I mean, think about this as, it's why we gotta talk about this because at the end of the day, our relationships are our greatest asset and the greatest gauge of our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus. In fact, as we've said so many times over the years, is this, your love for God is validated, it's authenticated, it's illustrated, and it's demonstrated by how well you love all the people around you. So how do we begin to become self-aware? How do we begin to develop this whole process of relational intelligence so that we, are not running the relational and the conversational stop signs. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to look with me at the story of two brothers. Their names are Cain and Abel. We're gonna be reading this out of Genesis chapter four, so it's an easy one to find. It's the first book in your Bible. Now what's significant about this story of Cain and Abel it is the first time in scripture that God tries to bring to light someone's blindness to their lack of emotional and relational intelligence. And what we're gonna discover is how destructive it can be to stay blind to the truth about our lack of relational intelligence. So I want you to look at the story with me beginning in verse two. Here's how the story goes. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soul. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soul as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Notice what happens in verse five. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So you got two brothers bringing their offering to God. God accepts Abel's offering and Cain's offering is rejected. So I want you to notice what happens to Cain based upon his response in verse five. So here's what it says about Cain. So Cain was very angry. Now don't miss this. Something is happening inside of him. If he's, eternal, if he's internally aware, he would understand that. So he's very angry and it's affecting his external being, his external interaction. So Cain was very angry, this is internal, and his face, this is external, was very downcast. His whole demeanor changes. Now notice what's going on here. Inside, Cain is angry, not just angry, but very angry. And you know, one of the things I, I notice in a lot of people is they, they, they lack emotional and relational intelligence because they won't admit that they're angry. They'll say something like this, well, I'm just frustrated or I'm just irritated. And you wanna look at them and go, no, you are flipping angry. And it's affecting everybody in the room because it's on the outside of your face. We can see it, we can see it in your demeanor. So notice what's going on inside is affecting on what's going on outside. But Cain is blind to this. So God tries to help Cain see what's happening. Notice this in verse six. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? So God's trying to make Cain internally aware. Why are you angry? And then he goes, oh, and by the way, here's what's happening externally. And why is your face so downcast? 
It's almost as if God is saying to Cain, I don't think you see what's really going on with you. I don't think you're aware of what's inside, and I don't think you understand what's happening outside. You're like really, really angry, and you don't see how it's affecting you or your relationships. Now, what we miss in this story oftentimes when we read it is this. God is giving Cain a gift, and God often gives us gifts in feedback from other people and pushback from other people. And that is this, to see, it's an opportunity to see ourselves as we really are. So God is giving Cain the opportunity to see himself as he really is. But he doesn't take the opportunity. And as we said, it's a big deal to be relationally unaware. In fact, God tells Cain, he says, listen, there are some personal consequences if you stay unaware. Notice what he tells him in the next verse. Verse seven, he says, if you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Don't miss what God is telling Cain. He's saying, Cain, you are not aware. And because you're not aware, you're gonna be controlled by this anger it's going to control you internally, and it's going to control you externally. That's what he means when he says sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you. It's to control you. If you're not aware of it, if you don't deal with it, it's just going to stay there, and it's just going to get fueled by everything that happens to you. So think about how unaware Cain is of really what is going on. Cain, don't miss this. Cain is angry at God. Because God didn't accept his offering. But as we're going to see, he sees Abel as the problem. And see, that's what a lack of relational intelligence does to us. Mama and daddy did something to me. Something happened into my past. And then I take it into my future. And I take out my anger on everybody else who had nothing to do with that. See, we, we miss that. And some of you, you're angry at God because of something happened in your life and now you're taking out on everybody else and you're seeing everybody else as the problem. See, what we miss is, it's not just that other person that runs these relational and conversational stop signs because we all do it. We, we have a responsibility in all of our struggling relationships. And our lack of relational awareness explains why so many of us struggle relationally, especially in our marriages. Because if a husband and wife are unaware of their own lack of relational intelligence, you know what they do? They blame each other. It's why you have fights. It's why you get mad at each other. You're blaming. As soon as you're angry, you're blaming. And you know what happens to that marriage when you start blaming? It's like, you blame and you fight, and then somehow now you're supposed to have intimacy out of that, like emotional, spiritual, and relational intimacy. And I'm just telling you, those fights, that anger, all that stuff, it is so destructive to everybody around you, but especially your marriage, but you blame each other. I mean, this explains why so many friendships, this is why so many churches, so many schools, so many workplaces, why they're so dysfunctional, because... We struggle in relationships because we're so unaware of our own lack of relational intelligence. So before you start looking around at everybody else, 
And that's why we're not talking about all those people who run the relational conversation stop signs in your life. We have to be aware of our assumptions and our emotions and how they're impacting others. So before you try to set all those you love and care about straight and put them on the right path, I believe God is saying to us in this series, just like he's saying to Cain, he's like, listen, I'm trying to help you see where you need to become relationally self-aware. And we're gonna talk about how we do that in just a moment. Now, what's interesting, remember, Cain is angry at God. He's blaming Abel and taking it out on him. And so Cain's response to God is fascinating. And it's fascinating because Cain does what is so typical of all of us when it comes to relationships. You know what we do? We totally ignore what God is saying to us through his word or the Holy Spirit, and we do exactly what Cain does. Notice what Cain does in verse eight. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, hang on just a second, God's having a conversation with Cain. And it's like, Cain totally ignores that. He doesn't even respond to God. He doesn't even pause to pay attention or listen to God, and that's what most of us do, don't we? We ignore God telling us about our part of the process, and instead we do exactly what Cain does in the next part of the verse. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel. Like, not only does Cain ignore God speaking to him about, hey, you need to be self-aware here, what's going on to you, he totally ignores God, and he goes out and attacks his brother, Abel. Now, before you start being too hard on Cain and dismissing yourself from this, saying, well, I'm not like Cain, because you are churched and you know the end of the story that he kills his brother. Here's the thing. While we don't kill the person we attack, how many times has your anger how many times have you running that conversation and relational stop sign? How many times is your stonewalling? How many times is your passive aggressive behavior where you attack that other person, destroyed the relationship in some way, and you're blaming them? Because see, just like Cain, when we're not self-aware, what we do is we blame others and then we attack them. And notice what happens when we do this and Abel killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother, Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, granted, this is a little bit of an extreme story to help us get the point of the consequence of not being self-aware relationally. But here's what I know is true for every one of us. Because we ignore our need to be self-aware to understand how other people view us and the impact that we have on their lives. We are, the we are responsible for a lot more of the death of our relationships and the destruction that goes on our relationships and the dysfunction that goes on our relationships than most of us are aware. And just like Cain, God is over here in his word and through the Holy Spirit trying to say, hey, hey, hey you're really angry. You're very, very angry. You're being very, very self-centered. You're being very self-focused. And we totally ignore that and we go over here and attack our spouse. We attack our children. 
We attack our coworkers. We attack our boss. See, and just like Cain, we don't see our responsibility in the death of our relationship. So the question is, how do you know if you lack relational intelligence? Well, let's just start with your relationships. Start with your relationships. Look at your marriage. Look at your marriage. If you look at your marriage, what you're going to discover is the greater the level of marital conflict or the greater the level of marital disconnect, the greater the level of relational unawareness. See, when there is all this conflict, this tension, or you have just learned to tiptoe around each other and you know what to say and you know what not to say so you don't trigger that person, but there's really no kind of relational joy and intimacy. And here's what I know. When you get in that kind of relationship, you think your spouse is a problem. That's why you blame them for your marriage problems. That's why you blow up on them. It's why you get passive aggressive and, and do the silent treatment or stonewall them. It's why you divorce them. It's why you're divorcing them because they're the problem. But you know what's interesting? Whenever I coach couples, um, and they don't stay very long for me to coach them, but because um, here's why. I always remind them, as water rises to its own level, you put water in a tube, it's going to rise to its own level. So people the same emotional level attract each other. And I just look at them and say, listen, an eight or a nine, if you're emotionally aware and self-intelligent as you think you are, you would have never been attracted to this three or four that's sitting at this table with you. So what we're saying is you're a three or four too. So you guys deserve each other. Now let me help you grow. And after I say that, most of the time they don't come back. I haven't figured out why. But it is the truth. As water rises to its own level, so people at the same emotional level attract each other. But we're unaware that we're on the same emotional level. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been attracted to each other. In fact, I tell them, if you were more self-aware, you wouldn't be blaming your spouse. You'd be looking in the mirror in God's word. Anybody want to point me this afternoon? I'd be like, come on, let's, it's like, <laughs> listen. Our overestimation of our relational intelligence is the greatest destroyer of our relationships. Now, if you're not married, look at your relationship with your parents or your teachers. If you're in high school, middle school, high school, college, young adult. Like, if you lack relational intelligence, there's going to be a higher level of conflict, resentment, bitterness toward your teachers and your parents. Or another place to look at your relationships would be with your boss or your coworkers. I mean, some of you just can't figure out why you're always in conflict with your relationships at work. And most likely it's because your overestimation of your lack of awareness relationally. Like you think, oh, I, I'm, I'm the functional person here. Everybody else is so dysfunctional. So here's the deal. If you're really ready to lift the lid, and become more self-aware. So you got to step into the world of having been a little bit vulnerable with, with yourself and other people. And you're thinking like, what is the first thing I need to do to become aware? Well, the first thing you need to do is you look at scripture and you do what Cain should have done. He should have quit looking at Abel and he should have listened to God and started interacting with God. 
And so what that means is this, is you own up to your lack of understanding of your relational intelligence. I'm telling you folks, that is the freeingest thing that you can do. I'll never forget years ago when I finally had a counselor look at me and said, Paul, you're not relationally intelligent at all. I'm surprised you're a pastor. I'm surprised people even put up with you. Like you're like one of the most toxic human beings I've ever met. And I'm like, wow, tell me what you really think. But it made me look in the mirror and begin to work on me and my relationship with God and my emotional health. So you need to apply the first principle about relationships in the Bible. You choose to own your own lack of relational intelligence. Now, how do you do that? Well, I'm just gonna tell you, you're gonna have to be very courageous. You're gonna have to do the most difficult thing that you've ever done. You're gonna have to ask people that will tell you the truth, that have nothing to lose. You're gonna ask them a very serious question. And the question is this. What's it like to experience me? That was a laugh of pain right there, I'm telling you. (laughs) Somebody's hoping somebody will ask them today. (laughs) Henry Cloud says it this way. He says that to have relational health, we have to ask those close to us questions that help us understand our emotional and our relational blind spots because we all have them. In fact, the more I work on this, the more blind spots I begin to realize I have. And I'm just telling you, it's a painful thing, but if you ever wanna have great relationships, we have to own up to our own lack of relational intelligence. See, while, while we think, we think we know what it's like to be married to me, we really, really don't understand what it's like to experience me as a spouse, because I am not my spouse. See, while we really, really think we know what it's like to work with me, we don't know what it's like to experience me at work. While we think we know what it's like to be a friend to me, we really don't understand what it's like to experience me as a friend. And while we think, like, we know what it's like to be parented by me, we really don't understand what it's like to be parented by me. See, we don't know what it's like to experience me because we have a little of internal self-awareness, but we have literally almost no external self-awareness because the only way you get external self-awareness is feedback from other people. And even though we have the best intentions in our relationships, and even though we believe we have the best interests of other people in mind, we don't understand without intentional feedback from other people what it's like to experience me because we see our interactions through the grid of who we are. They see their interactions through the grid of who we are. We see ourselves through the grid of our intentions. They see us through the grid of our reality. And I'm just telling you folks, this is one of the most challenging questions that you're gonna ever ask. Let me tell you what's gonna happen when you start asking this question. You're gonna get your feelings hurt. Your ego is gonna get popped. And, And if the feedback you get doesn't make you say, ouch, that hurt, but thanks because it's helpful, then those people aren't being honest with you. Like, how can I predict that? Because I have people in my life who I see working so hard on themselves. They're, they're character accountability partners in my life. And this is a question that I have to deal with them all the time. Like, here's what it's like 
to be on the other side of you. And often what is reflected back, I don't like to hear. And I've learned to go, ouch, man, that hurt. But thanks. Help me work on this because it will be helpful. But I'm just telling you, it's so important. The only way you're going to gain any level of relational intelligence is by asking this question. So when you ask this question, what's it like to experience me? Here's what you do. When you ask the question, see, humility is being emo- having emotional neutrality. See what I just said? You go with humility. Humility, nothing to win or nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. I'm, just be filled with the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Say, hey, what's it like to experience me? And when they answer, don't defend yourself. Don't rationalize. Don't use the butt phrase, but you don't understand. Don't explain a what way what they say. Don't wrong spot them. And what we mean by wrong spot, we do this all the time, meaning, you know, I try to find some flaw in what they're saying. They said it wrong. They presented it wrong. They said it at the wrong time. Don't do any of that. Just simply listen. And when they're done, say, thanks. I appreciate that. And then when they walk away, pull the knife out of your gut. Because it's going to hurt your ego a bit. And once you've gotten that feedback, then spend some time reflecting on what they said. And bring all of those insights to your heavenly father and ask him to help you sort through them and really see yourself as they see you. Ask him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, God, help me become more relationally aware. Externally. Say, Father, help me become relationally intelligent so that I can experience the the intimacy and the vulnerability that I want to experience in my relationships. Because here's what I know. When you come to God and you're serious about this to the point that you respond to God speaking to you instead of attacking Abel, whoever that Abel is in your life that you feel like ran the stop signs relationally and conversationally, I mean, here's what's going to happen. God's going to dig down deep into the wounds, into the problems, into the insecurity, into the pride, into the ego, into your hidden agenda, into your anger, into your jealousy, into your greed, into your suspicion, into your manipulative spirit, into all the things that are just blindly festering beneath the surface that are affecting everybody around you, but you can't see it. But he's gonna do it in such a tender way that he's gonna nurse you back to health, spiritually and emotionally. And he's gonna bring inner healing to your inner world, spiritually and emotionally. And that's gonna bring health to your relationships. So this week, I wanna challenge you to ask this question to several people. What's it like to experience me I would encourage most of you not to ask more than one or two people the first week because you're going to have to get used to the gut punch piece, right? Otherwise, it'll be too overwhelming. And then, and then when you get their answer, just get quiet before your heavenly father. Don't go to anybody else and say, can you believe what so-and-so told me about myself? Or don't get all mad at them. Just go get with the father. And in humility, say, God, I just need you to help me. This is really what they see. It's what they feel. So here's what I want us to do before we leave. I want us to practice this question. 
This is a hard question to ask. And if you don't say it out loud in the room, you're probably not gonna say it out loud when you leave the room. So all of our campuses, Blountstown and Chipley. Mariana, you ready? Here we go. Everybody, everybody, you ready? Here we go. What's it like to experience me? Now, I want you to just kind of turn to the person beside you, whether you know them or not, and let's kind of say it, because it's so hard to look at somebody and ask this question. Everybody ready? Here we go. What's it like to experience me? Now, keep coming back, because next week, we're going to start growing in some of our blind spots. So, um, wow. This turned into some great conversations. Hey, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible opportunity to grow and to become who you've made us to be and to really experience what we all desire. That's why we're here. That's why we're gathered. We desire to love well and relate well. And Satan wants to do everything he can to kill, steal, and destroy that opportunity. And so we come against his destructive tendencies and lies and patterns in Jesus' name. And we declare we're gonna love well by first starting with us, becoming relationally aware. Thank you, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray, amen. Thanks everyone for being with us today. See you next week.